On an evening in early December 2018, the young CEO of a cryptocurrency exchange reportedly dies while on his honeymoon in India. This death is not announced to customers for another month. And when they're told Gerald Cotton is the only person to hold the passwords to their funds, conspiracy theories grow, leaving some to wonder, could Gerald Cotton still be alive? Honeymoon, moving the body, all the missing money. It was like, but what happened? A Death in Cryptoland. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. It's been nearly two years since Russia invaded Ukraine, and back when the war started, one Canadian military veteran was determined to help. Paul Hughes built a small humanitarian organization called HUGS. It's based in Kharkiv, a city about 40 kilometers from the border with Russia. The CBC's Danny Kerslake caught up with Paul Hughes, and here is Danny's documentary, Mission 300. A quick note before we begin, there are a couple of swear words in this piece. Come on in. The Hugs Garage in Kharkiv. And uh, here we have some of our the people that are working, like Ole and Alex and JP. Hello. Paul Hughes is leading a tour at Hugs. It stands for Helping Ukraine Grassroots Support. And it doesn't get more grassroots than this. The headquarters is an auto repair shop with vans and cars in various states of disrepair. Mechanics buzz around. Yeah, we provide all the labor for free. And we, we try to help out once in a while if there's parts with some organizations that are struggling for parts. Hugs pays for this shop and the mechanics with money raised by donors in Canada. They fix up a lot of vehicles used by the military. Volunteers, NGOs, and other nonprofits also bring vehicles here for emergency repairs. But they do way more than patch up trucks. And over here we have a bit of an office. So if you want to come Canadian here, and Ukrainian flags hang on the walls. It began as a one-man operation, but Hugs has grown to include a rotating crew of dozens of volunteers. There's a lot of suffering here, and anybody who thinks otherwise is, uh, is kidding themselves and is, is ignoring the, the very harsh reality of this attack on a sovereign country. There's misery everywhere. From the very beginning, Hugs has worked to ease that misery in whatever way it can. Russia is attacking Ukraine. It is a multi-pronged, full-scale invasion. And those sirens you hear, a clear signal to people in Kyiv to take shelter. Hello. Hi. CBC in Calgary. Yeah. Paul, tell us us where where exactly you are right now. Uh, I'm in Lviv. Two years ago, Paul hastily left his farm and his son to join the fight in Ukraine. Ukrainian line forces. That's Paul speaking with CBC Radio in Calgary in early March 2022. I don't like bullies, and I believe Putin is uh, the biggest bully of the 21st century. And I fundamentally believe he needs to be stopped somehow. Paul has no ties to the country. He's a former soldier with Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. That's where I met Paul. We served in Germany together back in the 1980s, and we've kept in touch. Paul is charismatic and brash. He's like a big brother to me. And he doesn't always ask for permission. He gets things done. So many women and children, so many children, too many children. And uh, the, the the more kids I saw crying strengthened my resolve. Paul has always been dedicated to fighting for social justice. He was front and center at Occupy Calgary 
and he founded Grow Calgary, a farm that raises vegetables for local food banks. When he went to Ukraine, Paul initially planned to join the fight, but in those days, the Ukrainian military wasn't ready to arm foreigners. So Paul began helping out, chopping wood at soup kitchens and making sandwiches. He realized he wasn't there to fight after all. Hugs quickly followed. So we have some food items that we put aside for them. And we're holding this stuff up right now. There we go. Everything is humanitarian based. And so the delivery of food to remote isolated communities that are near the front in the eastern part of Ukraine. Uh, so food, uh, clothing, bedding, shelter, uh, hy- hygiene-related items, and we do a lot of medical-related work, a lot of medicine. So these are some pre-packed packaged meals, our bags, food bags. CBC met up with Paul in Kharkiv earlier this month for a hugs milestone, humanitarian mission number 300. And now we're going to go in and load this really quickly in the back, and then we're off to the races. First stop, a warehouse in Kharkiv to pick up supplies. The aid arrives there through what Paul describes as an independent humanitarian pipeline, with most of the donations coming from Europe. We're along for the ride with help from a local journalist. Then it's off to Volokhiv Yar, about 75 kilometers southwest of Kharkiv. The town had previously been occupied by Russian soldiers. They are still nearby, an hour or so away. And this is a bridge, blowing out bridge, and they're repairing it. And now the main bridge, this is the temporary bridge that we're on right now. Uh, There's some more stuff. There's uh, occupation over here, bombs on the road. Everywhere you look, there's, uh, there's some sign of war. On this day, Hugs is delivering more than 100 boxes of medicine, food, clothes, toys and books to a makeshift classroom. It's in a building across from the red brick school destroyed in the war. But there's some confusion when they arrive. Locals were hoping for even more school supplies, which are needed most. But children are happy to see toys and musical instruments. We don't really know what the trauma is with these kids, right? So, but right now they're having fun and they have smiles on their face, which is the most important thing. Mission 300. Uh, the kids had a good time, lots of smiles. So, yeah, mission uh, 300 complete. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Previous missions proved to be more challenging. Paul helped recover the body of a Canadian killed while fighting alongside Ukrainian troops last April. But Paul's most memorable mission is number 114. A lady from Holland contacted me. Her name's Debbie. I never talked to her before. And she told me this story about a six-year-old girl that was down in Zaporizhia that needed to be 
picked up and evacuated to her mother, who was in Holland. Debbie was calling for Yuliana Lapianova. They'd heard that Hugs had done some evacuations. Yuliana had escaped the war, but her six-year-old daughter Katya was with her ex-husband in southeast Ukraine. I was very worried about Katya because she was in the city that was occupied, and it's still occupied. Parts of Zaporizhia were under Russian control, but Paul had a rule. We had a policy at that time with hugs that we would not say no to any request for humanitarian assistance. I don't think anybody would have said no. Paul drove the 300 kilometers from Kharkiv to Zaporizhia. Then Yuliana sent the coordinates for where her daughter was waiting. It was on the other side of the front line, the Russian side. They sent me a pin, and uh, it was well within occupied territory. But there was no stopping me at that point, so I decided to try to cross into um, Russian-held territory. Paul ran into a roadblock. A military vehicle drove up. Russian soldiers climbed out, pointing their weapons. I was definitely in over my head. And I I just remember saying to these guys, Oh, my bad. I'm lost. Sorry. Just a silly Canadian here. I'll get going. It didn't work. Paul was taken to a makeshift command center. Soldiers searched his van and spread his belongings out at his feet. Among them, his NATO medal and his jump wings priceless mementos from his time in the Canadian military, but here they painted a dangerous picture. I was being accused of being a spy, lots of guys with guns, knives, lots of threatening gestures. That's the most terrified I've been in my entire life. You know, the jig is up and it was a a pain associated with it that is just overwhelming. Paul was detained for hours. In the Netherlands, Juliana waited. She had no idea what was happening to the man who promised to rescue her daughter. It was a very emotionally difficult that day because I didn't know if my child was okay. I was very depressed and emotional. In that Russian command center, a man entered. He looked like a henchman in a Hollywood action film, except this situation couldn't have been more real. He's just a big guy, shaved head, big, huge forearms, just massive guy. He's got his uh, body armor on. He's coming in out of the field, and he just looks very, very menacing. And I thought at that point, okay, this is the guy that's going to, you know, this is the executioner. The soldier grabbed a chair and pulled up close, really close. He spoke in English. And he asked me, what do you do in Canada? And I'm, I said, well, I'm a farmer. And he said immediately, he said, oh, I am also a farmer. And what do you farm? What do you grow? What do you raise? Paul couldn't believe it. He was bonding with his would-be executioner over the best way to grow vegetables and raise pigs. And then he said, do you like hockey? And I'm like, well, you know, uh, yes, I, I, I love hockey. I, lo- I do like hockey. He goes, who is your favorite player? And then right away, I'm like, okay, Russian player, Russian, uh, Ovechkin. Paul wasn't actually a fan of Alexander Ovechkin, but it was the first Russian NHLer that popped in his head. 
Because what are the chances a Russian soldier wouldn't love one of the greatest Russian goal scorers of all time? And he's, oh, Ovechkin is shit. I, oh, Ovechkin shit player. Paul can feel the goodwill and his chances of survival evaporating. And I'm like, oh, oh, um, uh, Trechak? Vladislav Trechak. Well, there's the outstanding player for the Soviets, and we mentioned it again. Vladislav Trechak, the famed Soviet goaltender who battled Team Canada at the 1972 Summit Series. And he goes, oh, Trechak good, Trechak good. So as soon as I said Trechak, he was, uh, he was quite happy and a big smile on his face. And uh, we talked a little bit more about some hockey. And then he asked me if I uh, smoked. And I said, yes. And he goes, okay, we will go for a smoke. We went outside and we talked some more. And he said that I have to go now. And uh, which uh, he, had, he had to go back to the field. And uh, I, we, we shook hands and I, and I said, thank you. Paul was free to go. I was ecstatic. I, I, knew, I knew that that guy had saved my life. This guy, who I thought was going to be the executioner, he is actually showing some compassion to me. It was a pretty powerful moment in my life, for sure. But Paul's mission wasn't done. Katya still needed saving, and Paul knew he needed some sort of permit from the Russians or risk being detained again. So I, got, I stopped the van, I got out, I went back and knocked on the door and the guy came down and he just looked at me like, what the hell is wrong with you, buddy? Like, we just let you go. Like, and I said, oh, um, sorry, do you have anything, a paper, a document or something, stamp? And uh, he realized what I was asking for and he went in and grabbed that for me. And then I drove around the corner and then it kind of just hit me. I had to pull over immediately and just go, what just happened to me? After he pulled himself together, Paul found a place with Wi-Fi and reached Katya's mom. As soon as there was a connection, we contacted my ex-husband and Paul to coordinate them. Ten minutes later, Paul picked them up. But it was very scary. The girl, her father, and some others jumped in the van. Paul captured a short video of Katya as mortars exploded nearby likely fired by Russian forces. Okay. Okay. She gave Paul a heart-melting thumbs up as they raced out of the hot zone, driving eight hours back to Kiev, and then on to a border crossing with Poland the next day, where Katya's mother was waiting for the group. I cried for a very long time. And I was very happy because I realized how much I love my child. When I saw her, I hugged her for a long, long time. I just couldn't let her go. Paul is a person with a very big heart who helped me and my child. And we are very grateful to him. Paul and his team at Hugs have run almost 200 missions since Katya's rescue. They help hospitals, evacuate wounded soldiers, raise money, deliver food and clothes, even install wood stoves to help people get through the harsh Ukrainian winters. Hugs does whatever is needed. I couldn't go see Paul for this story, but we are in contact daily. He sends short videos, digital postcards from the war. 
things like military vehicles on city streets or drones in the night sky. But lately, missile strikes. In an attack on Kharkiv last month, reports say 18 people were killed. Paul knows the risks he faces every day, but he doesn't worry much about his safety. He worries about the other Hughes on his team. My name is Mac Hughes. Mac is Paul's son. He's just 21 years old. I do a mix of everything, from medical deliveries to evacuations, aid deliveries. I'll help a babusa walk across the street if I need to. Mac was drawn to Ukraine by his father's example. Growing up, we had, uh, not strangers per se, but people that are in need coming and going. And um, we've had people stay at our house. We've gone and helped people, you know. In Paul's tiny apartment in Kharkiv, father and son gather around a speakerphone. I'm asking questions from back here in Canada. Hey, I, I am curious, Paul, like, how do you balance that instinct as a father to protect at all costs with that other side where you support your boy in what he feels passionate about? Well, uh, I don't think about the, I don't think about the downside. It's not something that I wanted him to do, but he was very driven to do it. And I mean, there was a selfish part of it for me too, because I, I missed him so much and I did want to see him. You know, my son has grown by decades in a matter of a year. I mean, he is a man. Uh, I love my son, and I would never want to put him in harm's way. In hindsight, it's uh, we're very lucky. I don't think I'll ever move back to Canada full-time. The adjustment will be like a torture. Just talking to people, nobody's going to understand what I'm talking about. You know, They'll think it's cool, oh, I did this, oh, I did that, but they, they won't understand some of the stuff that I've seen, some of the stuff that I've dealt with. You know, For Paul, his two years in Ukraine are starting to take a toll. Yeah, I'll be 60 in less than five months here. I, I'm, I'm kind of feeling my age, Dan. Um, a couple of people have shown me some pictures of when I first showed up here. And, uh, you know, I looked lean and mean. And uh, now I just look mean. <laughs> I've, I've definitely aged. I feel it. Uh, 700 days here, working pretty well nonstop because that was our commitment to the country, this country that we're trying to help and commitment to the people who supported us. Yeah, there's, there, I mean, there's a little bit of fatigue. I worry about you guys every day. Um, and um, I, for one, uh, would like to see you and Mac and have a beer somewhere and sit down and let you guys tell all your war stories. I, I hope that can happen someday. So do I, Dan. You have no idea how, how much I would like to see that happen, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just to give you a big hug, brother. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Let's make that happen. The documentary was produced by Danny Kerslake in Saskatoon with help 
from CBC's audio documentary unit. Our thanks as well to reporter Katerina Malofieva in Ukraine and the Ukrainian Museum of Canada. And one more note, that warehouse where Paul picked up supplies before heading out on his delivery mission, it was destroyed in a Russian bombing about 48 hours after his visit. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.